White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 638. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. All right, it's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast, back for another installment. I am your host, Van Allen Plexico, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Andy Fix. Are you there, Andy? I am here, Van. How are you doing tonight? Good. Oh, good. I'm excited. It's it's only been like a week and a half since our last show because we had our vacation kind of <laughs> rearrange our schedules, but here we are ready to talk about some more Babylon 5. And uh, have you done well since our last uh our last conversation. I have done well. It's it's been hot here, very hot. Oh, yep. So uh, I mean, it, it, it's not like that's any news to anybody who else who lives in this country. But mm. yeah, it's been it's been pretty ugly. But uh, we've been surviving. Yeah, not going outside is a, a lot. Um, staying down in the down below and um, not getting too close to the fusion reactor that is the sun outside right now. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, it's uh, but it's but that's okay because I've been watching some Babylon Five and I'm ready to talk about it. So. Tonight, tonight we have two episodes for you. We're back to the earlier format because of the sort of the, you know, when it's big, big, big episodes now, we're doing one at a time. But when it's not, we'll do two at a time. And so tonight we're doing 3.13, a late delivery from Avalon, and 3.14 in terms of airing order, not production order, 3.14... uh, Ship of Tears. Yeah, I had to stop and think. That, that one has an odd name, and it always it, it never comes to me instantly. You know, Ship of Tears. I, I guess it's supposed to be kind of like Trail of Tears, maybe, or Ship of something. Right. Yeah. I don't that, know. that 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 yeah that that was explicit. That was um, mm. well, we can get into it in, when we yeah. when we discuss the episode. But yeah, that's, that's right. there was a, a that was on purpose. Mm-hmm. So I will always just remind folks that if you uh, that you, we do not do commercials, you don't have to listen to any commercials other than us thanking the folks that do pay the bills to keep us on the air. So if you would like to become part of the family here at the White Rocket Babylon Five Review Podcast, then go to www.b5review.com, www.b5review.com, or you can just go to uh, go to Patreon.com and just search for White Rocket Reviews. And become a patron, and I'll when we get to the midpoint of our show tonight, I'm going to thank the folks that currently are patrons, and we sure do appreciate them. So, any news or anything before we get into 313 here? The only thing that I have is that one of our uh, loyal listeners, longtime listeners, Squatch Sutton, announced on the V5 uh, page on, on Facebook that he got engaged. Now, normally that, that's not that big of a deal, but the way he got engaged was awesome. Uh-oh. He used the Sinclair marriage proposal. Yes, I saw where that. Everyone's, so you want to do this? And it worked, he says. <laughs> ah. and, and I guess his, his fiance, his now fiance Michelle, is, is kind of nerdy too. 
because I guess she's been watching. He he talked her into watching Babylon Five with him. So I just want to say congratulations to the uh, to the, the 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 newly engaged couple. That's that's awesome. Look, do you want to do this or what? Um, right. That's so great. <laughs> and then a Vorlon came in and just as he was getting up from proposing and said, "And so it begins. You have forgotten something." <laughs> And he ran out the door, and that was the end of the conversation. No, 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 surely not, surely not. That's really cool. That's awesome. Um, I do know a fair number of Babylon 5-related couples uh, here and there. So I know there's a couple that has a that had a baby several years ago. That baby's probably in high school now that was named Valen. And, um, wow. Yeah, there was a Valen. And... Um, and uh, I know other couples that, are, that have come together through their love of Babylon 5, so it's really cool. <sighs> That's very cool. Well, tonight we're going to look at a couple of interesting ones. We have, I believe, Michael York popping up in this first one, and that is 313, a late delivery from Avalon. So, as I always ask, do you want to do, you want to do this one, or would you like to defer to the second half? Uh, sure. No, I'll do this one. Okay. So in a, in a late delivery from Avalon, a traveler comes from, presumably from Earth, comes on a transport, um, and uh, he is uh, dressed in medieval garb and carrying a, a sword, a sword, and he claims to be came from Earth's, uh, Earth's history. And uh, the, the doctor insists that he's not. Uh, Marcus claims that he probably or he possibly could be, and they try to unravel the mystery from there. Yeah, and um, that's the main. There's not. I mean, it's it's. This is another one of those where the B and C plots kind of feed into that as well. Sometimes they're totally separate, you know. But I right, feel, I, what what would what would you consider the B plot of this one? I'm not sure there even was one. Maybe something to do with Jakar. Or <laughs> right. That, yeah. I guess it was Jakar kind of helping him and then getting inspired. Right, Jakar jumped in with the yeah. I mean, I I, I guess you could consider that a, a B plot or, or I, I don't know. It 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 was all just one big plot. Yeah, it was exactly exactly. All right, well, this one was production number three twelve, but it got swapped around with last time's Sick Transit Veer due to Sweeps Week. They wanted they wanted to be able to advertise that Michael York was guest starring on a Babylon Five during Sweeps Week. With those that don't know, Sweeps Week is when the when they used to, I don't know if they still do, when they would take like extra in detail ratings to try to see, you know, which shows people are watching. And so during Sweeps Week, most shows would try to air like their most attractive episodes, you know, or try to get, they'd, they'd air like a, if it was a bunch of reruns, they'd air a brand new one and they'd advertise a brand on a new episode of, you know, so yeah. Uh, it originally aired April 22nd, 1996. Still written by JMS. I told you I'm going to be saying that for a while. And this was directed by Mike Vijar. So he's one of our Mount Rushmore guys. And I, we're not giving a number until the end, obviously, on how we liked it. But this is a... Well, I haven't said notable guest stars. I said Michael York as, as Arthur slash... Mm-hmm. He has another name. I don't Michael or something. I don't remember. His David name McHenry Dave, or something? Yeah, something like that. I don't know. And then Michael Kayan as Emmett Farquhar. Who was Emmett Farquhar? That was that must have been like the bad guy or something. Yeah, it could have been. I, I, don't, I don't remember Emmett at all. So, yeah. Oh, maybe it was like the old man that he or the old no, there was the was the old lady that he helped Aunt May from Spider Man. I don't know. It sure looked I, like I, her. That I I guess it could have been. I mean, possibly. I I I didn't. 
I didn't even look her up. No, I didn't either. And then I just Did all of a sudden dawned on me. I'm like, yeah. that lady looked a lot like the Aunt May from the from the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. Right, but then that Aunt May looked like every old woman you know out there. So yeah, Aunt May keeps getting younger, younger. Soon Aunt May's going to be younger than Peter. I right. Mean, Right, uh, I, they here. they did all right with the most recent Aunt May. I'll tell you yeah. what, she's uh, <laughs> well, Happy Hogan yeah. thought so. <laughs> right, <laughs> there was a minute I thought Tony Stark thought so. So um, I think yeah. that's just how he is. All right, so I have a few random factoids. Do you want to throw any out there? Oh, let me see. The only one that I have is apparently accents are hereditary because uh, Marcus says that he is many generations removed from Great Britain, but. You know, he still sounds like he's from Great Britain. So, I, I don't know. It, it apparently that that that's a, a genetic trait. The British, the British accent. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I, and I imagine that probably the same was true of Michael York's character, and yet he still sounded like Michael York. So, right. But yet, well, Susan, he could have been legitimately from Great Britain. I mean, yeah, Michael yeah. York's character could have could could have actually been born and raised in Great Britain. Yeah, that's true, and. Whereas, whereas on the other hand, Ivanova doesn't really sound Russian. They, they for five right. minutes in season one, they tried it. And they said, "Ah, screw that. That's not right. That's not worth right. pursuing. Just let her, just let her be herself. You know, let her be Clay Christian." Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's inter- I, you know, It is interesting to think about what accents would be like in the 23rd century with people living off world and on colonies and on space stations and everything, how they would change and morph. I mean, the expanse kind of touches on that, but the, yeah, I was just about to say, but the expanse is a lot closer to home than Babylon five. You know what I mean? Babylon five isn't star Trek, but it's not far from it compared to the expanse in in terms of how far out people have gone and for how long, you know, exactly. And it could very well just be an affectation on Marcus's part. I mean, maybe he just <laughs> likes to sound British. I don't know. I, I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah, it works for him. So, you know. <laughs> right. Well, oh, my gosh. Oh, Marcus. I have a few things to say about Marcus tonight. So tell me what you think. Here's my first random factoid and note. This seemed to me like a first season premise with third season ramification. I, 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 I was going to mention this later, but I'll mention it now. When we were watching the first season, there was an episode there where they brought up the, the beginning of the, the uh, Mimbari Earth War. Yeah. And I went and rewatched this episode to get some context for that because I remembered that it was addressed in this particular episode. And when I watched it then, I was like, oh, yeah, that was a, that was a decent episode. You know, it, it was pretty good. And when I rewatched it this time after watching two and a half or another season and a half of Smile and Johnny in the Shadow War. <laughs> yes. This episode didn't seem it, it seemed really out of place. Yeah. Um so when I watched it, you know, while we were watching season 1, it seemed like a great episode because it fit right in with what we were watching on season 1. I agree. But now we're halfway over halfway through season 3 and the show has changed so much since then, this just seemed really out of place and in uh, a little incongruous. When yeah, when when I think odd person shows up on the station, I think season one, Sinclair dealing with it. I don't think Sheridan and the Army of Light and Marcus and all that. I think, yeah, I mean, t- could you not totally see Sinclair dealing with Michael York's character? That, to me... Absolutely. Yes. Oh, absolutely. It, and there was really nothing about this episode that had anything to do with the overarching plot. 
Um, really, yeah. it could have been a first season episode with somebody else taking Marcus's character lines. I mean, it it, it really could yeah. have been word for word a season one episode without you know without changing anything. So because because the only yeah, little... I, I agree. I don't. I don't. Go ahead. Well, I said, the only real connection it had was was to how the war with Minbari with the Minbari started, but that was a season one plot point more than it was a season it, three. I mean, exactly. I guess. I guess Delin apologizing to Jakar is the only thing that's really, 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 really season three. But that that would be in ship. That that happened in ship. Ah, see, I keep getting these two mixed <laughs> up. This is the problem. We yeah, gosh. Okay, well there you go then. So no, I agree. It's a first. It was yeah. a first season episode. Yeah, and I, and that's not bad because we've said many times we really enjoyed the first season this time around. It's just that it's a different kind of right. episode, different kind of story. Right. Very right. guest star Absolutely. oriented. Yeah. Very guest star yes. oriented. And this right. was. Agreed. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Um, oh, oh, this is another little factoid before I get to unanswered questions. I couldn't remember, and I've watched the series all the way through like four or five times over the years, but I'm a big fan of the Army of Light black uniform. Oh, crap. I left something out. I was going to say, I'm sorry, let me put a pause in that and say, um, You'll. This is not a spoiler, really. This is just so you'll know it's going to happen and you won't miss it. I believe Michael York in this role pops up again in that flashback, like he did in this one, in the flashback and in the beginning, the movie, the prequel movie. Oh, that could be. I yes. think that because in the beginning shows like how the war starts shows in the beginning, right? Yep, absolutely. And he's and he's part of it. Yeah, they probably had to throw him a yep. couple of bucks to to use those scenes again. Possibly. Yeah. All right. So. I'm a big fan of the black uniform. We all know that I have a, I have one. I have the black uniform. Does it fit me now? Well, we won't talk about that. But I've had it for 24 years now. Yeah. And I got it like 98 or 99. And um, I got it with the vest because I love those sort of leather vests mm-hmm. that Susan and Sheridan have. I think they just look so cool. But yeah. I couldn't remember when they started wearing them. I was starting to think that maybe they didn't have them for a while and decided that that uniform needed a little something extra, and they added the vest. But they had the vest on in Late Delivery from Avalon. Yep. And, and it was originally filmed right after Ceremonies of Light and Dark, so immediately... Right. Immediately after the uniforms were introduced, they had the vest. It was part of it, I guess, from the very beginning. So, for whatever yeah. that's worth, I just think that was interesting. Okay, I really like those vests. I think they're cool. Um, okay, unanswered questions: Who is Morgana Le Fay? <laughs> I, I you know, JMS said he tossed that last conversation in there, kind of. To, to poke fun at the fans because they're always looking for deeper meaning in Babylon Five and trying to cast the different characters from different properties at you know as Babylon Five characters. So he said that it, <laughs> there is really no connection to Arthurian myth at all. He just tossed that that last little exchange just to get people to ask that question. <laughs> well, it, it suited Marcus too. Marcus is Mister like yes. organizational chart, you know, all that. So. <laughs> But it just still was yeah. funny. Um, how did this is a question I have that's unanswered? How did the crew of the Prometheus know what a Minbari gun port looked like, and how could they tell it was open? I don't know. I, I mean, mean, I guess a gun is a gun is a gun, right? I, I, just a big blue fish thing. How would you know there's a gun pointed at you? Yeah. 
I mean, if the Enterprise pointed a phaser at you, how would you know? Very true. But but it, it, <laughs> you, the Earth Force ships have very obvious guns that swivel oh, yeah. and turn and can point. Now, I don't know what kind of Minbari ship they had, but yeah, I, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I don't know. I, I also <laughs> question the whole practice of opening your gun ports as a sign of respect that just right. seems like asking for trouble, and guess what? It was. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. So, basically, this is supposed to seem like humans are so stupid for not understanding what the Mimbari were doing. I took it as, man, the Mimbari sure are stupid to do that. <laughs> I, I took a different conclusion than the one that was, I think, being offered here, you know. so Yeah. All right. Um, at what point did the Soul Hunters show up for Dukat? That's because a good question. There wasn't a lot of time there. Remember, no, they piled they no. piled bodies to the ceiling to block the Soul Hunter from Ducat. So, I don't know. Una- these are that's why they're unanswered because we don't have answers. Um, oh, there was a when the website mentioned that um, Marcus refers to the dawn of a new age, and the question was, is this the same as when they say it's the dawn of the third age of mankind? And I'm just going to say in the spoilers, we can kind of quickly go over that. I'm sure most folks understand it, but we can talk about it briefly. Right. Um, all right. That's my unanswered questions. Um, I did like the parallel. There was a B plot. Garibaldi trying to get his mail. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yes. And, yes. And that was a late delivery to him. Yep. That's a very good point. So we had a late delivery from Avalon and a late delivery from the EAPS, right? The Earth right. Alliance Postal and it, Service. And it's funny that they use. Uh, um, tackle boxes as shipping containers they did yes yeah. <laughs> and they also were talking about marcus's ranger pin which i got delivered to me by the postal service how about that <laughs> it never ends wow i've got more to say about the ranger pin coming up maybe in the spoiler space like yeah i think it is um the prometheus was the first human ship to encounter the Mbari. the prometheus was also the first human ship to encounter the aliens in the alien universe Ooh, yes, that's interesting. Now, a question for you: Did the Centauri, the Centauri, knew of the Minbari before they interacted with the Earth? Right? Oh, they had did to. They, sure. Yeah. Did they? I mean, did did the the people of the Prometheus know that they were facing a Minbari ship when they saw them? I mean, what? How, I wonder how much intel they had from the Centauri about what the Minbari were like, and if if maybe the Centauri fed them. Um, you know, some misinformation to, to yeah. cause trouble. I, the, to, all right. The converse, the conversation on Centauri prime goes like this for me. Oh, let us not tell them about the gunport thing. It would be so funny. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, perhaps we should have told Oops. them about the gunport thing after all. <laughs> Maybe that would have been a good idea. Um, well, you know what? We, we, need to, we need to do a riff tracks on some Babylon Five episodes. I think. <laughs> oh my gosh, that would be good. That would be good. Uh, you could be a Centauri character, and I'll be I'll be Kosh. Oh no! <laughs> wait, 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 wait! Yes, let's do it. <laughs> um, the Minbari name for the Ranger pin is Isil Zah. And I have more about that in the spoiler space, too. So we got a few things to talk about in the spoiler space. All right, here's a couple of JMS right. notes very quick. Uh, JMS 
really liked this episode a lot. He was convinced it was going to be one of the most popular ones. I don't think it worked out that way, but he thought so. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, oh, ah, sorry, I shouldn't be laughing at that. Um, virtually all the food used on the show is real for health reasons. The liquid drunk by Jakar and Arthur in Avalon was Yoohoo. They were drinking Yoohoo. Yeah. The mountain I thought of, it was I thought it was a chocolate milk cuz Yeah, yeah. The mountain of stuff Garibaldi is eating in the Zocalo in the first season is piled up meatloaf. The the spaghetti and bonacotta was real. Uh and but it kept getting cold because 18 takes. Um by the way, I think we mentioned last time that somebody pointed out that now that they're cut off from Earth, they're having to eat and drink more alien food because they can't get Earth food anymore. So their drinks are now like mm-hmm. blue and green, and they have weird brown and stuff. Yeah, so um, which could yeah, where the uh, the uh, the flu came from could be what? Remember they they were dealing with the the flu that that right at the very beginning they were dealing with the oh yeah the the disease that broke out because it was an Earth person eating alien food and Earth food combined and that fermented and caused issues. Oh man, that's right, that's right, that's cool. Um, let's see. I had a couple other things from JMS, but um, he kind of goes... JMS has talked extensively about the attack. Uh, well, what was the attack between the Minbari and the Prometheus and its little squadron? And uh, two Minbari ships were hit and destroyed. A third was damaged badly. That has to be the only time a Minbari ship was destroyed by a human ship other than the Black Star that Sheridan blew up, right? I mean... Right. They don't have luck like that any other time in the war except with the Black Star. Right. And, um, and of course, we saw Ducat there, and we'll see him a little bit more, I think, as the series. I think we see him in, in the beginning some, too. So. I, I thought it was interesting to have a, a Minbari with a goatee, but that was cool. Um, all right. I, I think that's all the notes I really have that are worth going into. The Yuhu one was kind of the one that was most interesting to me. <laughs> They're drinking Yuhu. So shall we get into the high point, get in the categories a little bit? High point? Uh, sure. Why don't Why don't you go first on the high point? I want to hear this. Hmm. All right. All right. This was tough. It was tough for me. Th- 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 it was hard for me to fill out my categories this time around, all the way through. I don't know why. Sometimes it's obvious, right? Sometimes these just right. answer themselves. But tonight, this this one was this one was a little hard. Yeah. So I thought the high point of the episode for me was when this was a very good Marcus and Stephen episode, right? We always appreciate yep. the Marcus and Stephen episodes, and I. I think you and I have talked before about how I don't think it was originally intended for them to be a buddy cop duo or whatever, but JMS just saw their their chemistry was really good. And it was yeah. real, because at conventions they would hang out together and do panels together, too. Right. So they I, had, As I experienced firsthand. Yes, yes. So they had real chemistry, and it showed on the show. Uh, so my high point was Marcus and Stephen wonder aloud who the Lady of the Lake is, and then they both realize it at the same time, and they and then we see Delenn walk in. I thought that was a really right. nice little sequence. So I'll go with that. All right, uh, my high point was uh, I, I really struggled with this one. Yeah. Um, I yeah, I think my high point on this one was uh, just when um, he handed the sword off to her. I thought that was kind of cool. Yes. Um, it, I mean, it was it was cool because you knew that the character was healing. 
I thought yeah. that was that was neat. Not not because it was like dramatic or you know magical or anything like that, but because it was the character healing and and getting his the closure that that he he needed mentally. I think the um, I I think the only other part of this episode that we could even look at for high point would involve when Jakar got involved with Arthur, but we'll hold off on that because it could come up again. You're right. Okay. All right. So low point of this episode. I had two low points. I had the dream sequences. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> terribly like the fond sequences, of those. Usually. You know, they, they had upped the, their, their dream sequence game a little bit in this, you know, earlier this season, but then yep. they, they fell off again. So, and I know, uh, Vajar was really impressed happy with the dream sequence he he was very pleased with himself for how he did that but i i, I wasn't convinced no. and then we had just a brief uh, a brief glimpse of narn foo again and that <laughs> <laughs> when, when jakar was getting in that fight he started growling like a kitty cat and going that yeah that that just takes me right out of nice. right out of it <laughs> yeah i've got to admit that the ones that you mentioned there are pretty low <laughs> but I had two other ones, so I guess there really right. are four low points because yours are a hundred percent valid. I said we have more, yet more, still more bad B five thugs. Yeah, you know I'm not big fan of the big dumb guys that kidnap people on Babylon Five every other epi- every other episode. Right. And then the other one was the council chamber finally reappears after an absence of quite a while and still looks like a bad game show set. Yeah, Come on down. Who's the next contestant on the... Which, which compared, I'll get into this one in, in the next episode. <laughs> yes. what, we, what we discuss with the next episode, yeah. And they, it's, not, it's not bad enough. And again, you know, we've you and I have said many times we like to talk about the good stuff on this show, and there's so much good stuff. But we have to note the stuff that's annoying, and it's just so annoying to me that a that that set is so small and so cheap looking when they when we know they could do better, right? Because there are other sets, there are plenty of other sets they do that are bigger and spacier and nice. Right? And I think that I think my favorite take was when you and I, one or one of us, probably you, said they could just set it out in the garden, and it would look great. Right. It would look huge. <laughs> yeah. Just, just have them sitting outdoors. It's not going to have a storm. It's not going to rain. Right, right. Um, but not only is it small and chintzy looking, but the the alien ambassadors kind of like sit there, like they're in a college classroom or something, you know, or elementary or school. Not, right, especially when when she starts handing out the uh, yes, the the the, the, the contracts, and they just start handing it back like kids in school. Oh my <laughs> god, that was so bad. <laughs> But that one, that's actually the next episode when they do that. But yeah, it, it was really bad. It's so bad. I just uh, that again. I I want the new WB version of Battle One Five, if only to get a better council chamber. And I tell <laughs> right. you right now, if the council chamber looks the same, I'm pressed to turn it right off and move on with my life. Oh, okay. Uh, what was your most Babylon Five scene? Again, there's a there wasn't a huge one, but there were a lot of kind of. Hmm, it, you know, I hate to say this after that discussion we just had, but it was the scene when they when they start talking about the Babylon Treaty and they they get everybody on board to agree to put aside their differences and to work together for the the defense of of Babylon Five because it is now not an Earth Force or an Earth Alliance station. It is the you know the United Nations of space now for real. So now that now that they're all united in this, that just sets the sets the uh, the plate for. You know the future, 
And did you notice after this, it's no longer just Mimbari ships orbiting it, flying around it. Right. Right. After, yeah. The continuity with the effects and everything has always been impressive to me. Most shows wouldn't put any effort back then, any right. effort into something like this. But right. as soon as Severed Dreams was over, Minbari ships were patrolling around Babylon 5, every external shot. Those glorious yep. looking up, and those two big Minbari ships are coming over. And then sometimes right. the white star flies by in the foreground. That yep. is just beautiful. Yep. Now you're going to have Vree saucers and Brakiri ships and everybody else yeah. flying around. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love and I will tell you that my my five year old, when uh, he saw the Vree saucers s- swinging by Bad Bomb Five, he goes, "Daddy, there's space aliens in there." Like, oh, <laughs> he recognized no, no, no. those as as alien spaceships right off the bat. I'm glad that the Vree are able to come and be part of the defensive force around Babylon Five. I guess that means they settled the lawsuit over over abductions on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> they settled that lawsuit. I just well, now I, I that wondered. Earth is Earth is out of the picture, they they feel free to come by and you know <laughs> and do their stuff. We don't have to worry about being served while they're flying around oh, out there. That's so great. I love it. Yeah, they they've been dealing with lawsuits with all those abductees' descendants. Oh boy, that's so good. All right. Um, yeah, I agree with you. That was the best. That was the most Babylon Five scene. It, it had to be. It was about the whole purpose of the station. So. Uh, right. Favorite favorite character moment in this one. My favorite was when Marcus explains to uh, uh, Doctor Franklin the uh, the ranger pin. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we've got something in the spoiler space about that one from me. So I'll I'll. But yeah, that's uh, he didn't give the entire story that time, and I don't remember if he has before or he does later. But we can discuss the entire story briefly in the spoiler section. Right. All right. Um. My favorite character moment was Arthur drinking with Jakar after the fight. And Jakar says, they were the bad guys, as you say, and we were the good guys. And they made a very satisfying thump when they hit the floor. (laughs) I love that. And I love that he made him Sir Jakar the Red Knight. Yes, that was cool. That was very cool, yeah. They really hit it off. That was cool. And, Uh, you know... What's his name? Uh, uh, Michael York did a did a fine job with with what he was given. I, I, I yeah. mean, yeah, you know he 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 was he was in he was Connie watched unfortunately watched this one with me. She sat down and <laughs> wanted to. She said the last one was so good I had to watch this one with you. And that didn't go go well, but anyway, she was watching and she's like, man, Michael York. When was this done? I was like 1995. She goes, he had, was in his late 50s by then, and he was still really good looking. <laughs> So I mean, you know, he and, and he he was physically you know impressive and and uh, he did good with the, the delivery of the lines that he had. He did. He oh he he was totally professional about it. Gave it all. Uh, this was twenty years removed from Logan's Run when it was filmed. Wow, wow, and uh, the uh, Three Musketeers too. Yeah, I watched Logan's One of my Run movies of all time. I well, yeah, of course, I saw Logan's Run when it first aired or was on first on television, like in the mid late seventies. And at the time I did was, too. I remember I that. Was, <laughs> I thought it was just this weird, you know, that was right before star Wars when everything changed. That really was when everything changed. Yeah. And right. I watched it again last year and I'm just like, it's just, a, it's just a very odd movie to watch. I, now. I remember I remember having nightmares from the scene when when they first introduced the uh, 
the way that the people were killed yeah when they had to destroy themselves in that in that weird sort of ballet acrobatic yeah that was yeah i i I still to this day remember that scene i I had nightmares about that for for years when i was a little kid (laughs) i don't i i probably did too and just don't remember but yeah that was uh i remember the tv show i watched the tv show too when it came on but it was uh it didn't last for just a few episodes. But one of the things right. about that movie, though, that I thought was really impressive was that they were able to film futuristic, very impressive-looking futuristic locations because they, they, they scouted out real locations around the country that people didn't really know much about and filmed things there. So, like, yeah. there's not a lot of miniatures, and there's no CGI, obviously, in, that, in, in Logan's right. run, but yet... It's got some incredible visuals just because they found like buildings, you know, and and courtyards of buildings and stuff that were really neat looking and and set them there. So, yeah, but it's still a very weird movie. Right. Um, all right, what so was your f- yeah. back to Babylon Five? Yes, well, uh, Michael York, I figure he's <laughs> worth a mention here. So, what was your funniest moment? Funniest moment was the the post office bits. I thought those were hilarious, um, especially the scene. When they were trying to break into the 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 post office, and uh, oh God, yeah, the security guard he was there with was all nervous, and and Garibaldi looks at me, goes, "You just fought two complete carrier groups of Earth Force, <laughs> including a marine marine landing force, and this bothers you." He goes, "Yeah, but this is the post office." <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Yeah, it's true. Um, my funniest moment was when when Marcus and Stephen were talking about who. Was whom from yeah. from the Arthurian legend, and then Kosh comes by randomly because you know Kosh just randomly cruises right. along throughout <laughs> the station, right? But Kosh just picks that moment to come by, and Marcus says to Stephen, "Next, you'll be telling me he's not Merlin." <laughs> <laughs> I was on the floor. I was like, I had totally forgotten that line, and I thought that was so funny. And then they say, "I think we all know who Mordred is." Now yeah. I assume they mean Mister Morden. Probably, or is it or, Londo? Pro- I don't know if they know about Mister Morden yet. Probably yeah. Londo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Clark. Oh, that could be. Yeah, that makes more sense. Garibaldi would say Bester, but I don't right. <laughs> <laughs> he hates him more than most people. All right, uh, let's see who won this episode. Uh, Arthur won this episode because he he found his closure he completed his journey journey and he found a new purpose in life so he's gonna help the uh help the um i believe it's the narn refugees that he goes off to help so yeah that's pretty cool it reminded me of when the telepath girl went off to be i guess on minbar or something wasn't it originally she was gonna go to narn and then she was just like ah natath is scary (laughs) which i'm like yeah um i said I, I don't disagree with you. I think you're right. But I also said Marcus and Steven, just because when they get a chance to do their stuff, I think we all win. Right. Agreed. Yeah. And you could maybe throw Jakar in, too, because he has some really good moments and doesn't doesn't lose any ground in this episode. He's you know, right. bless, bless Jakar's heart. He loses ground in a lot of episodes, not through his mm-hmm. own fault. Well, sometimes through his own fault, honestly. But he didn't lose. He- I thought he gained some ground this time. He legit had fun this episode, you know. He did, and and uh, Andreas Katsulis, 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 yeah, Katsulis said that he was playing the character, playing Jakar, as if he took um, Michael York's character at face value, like as yeah. in Jakar actually believed 
he was this guy from Earth's past that was, you know, had a, a magic sword and all that stuff. He he bought into all that and just loved it. Well, I, I think somebody on the show pointed out, I think it was Marcus, right? Yeah. Yep. Sebastian. Yep, exactly. If Sebastian there, if if Jack the Ripper can show up, why can't King Arthur? Yep. Other than no the fact reason, that he wasn't real. No reason yeah. not to believe him. Right, right, right. And that, that reminds me of what I was going to say a minute ago. I'm glad you reminded me. Don't you know that Michael York, that that uh, that Andreas had fun playing off, off of Michael York? Oh, that, he loved it. Yeah, yeah. I, re- I read a, a little interview with him about that those scenes. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, I could just go in there and, and you know, I'm, I'm of the same age as Michael York, but he's so much more accomplished, you know, than I am that I could just sit there and just watch him prove watch him prepare for a scene the three minutes before we would start shooting he would go through a preparation where he would transform from michael york into arthur he said it was just amazing to watch huh this is interesting i I can't imagine i I can't even visualize what that could be like so that's interesting right um okay and then i guess we're oh go ahead of course uh marcus the 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 gentleman who plays marcus I, i always forget his name he grew up watching Michael York, you know, on TV and in movies and stuff like that. So he was a personal hero to oh, yeah. to that actor. So he he was on Cloud Nine. He was told fanboy when when Michael York came on. Yes, yeah, I can see that for sure. Um, our, so we've done away with unless we have reason to have it. The um, the Ari Benzane. Uh, uh, I say it every freaking episode. I can't. <laughs> uh, Mitt Romney. The overacting award. <laughs> Mitt Romney. <laughs> What's his name? Dang it. Anyway. Orin yeah, Zento. Over- Orin Benzano. Zento. That's it. I think I was thinking Orin Hatch. And then I went from Orin Hatch to Mitt Romney. This is how brains work. And it's a weird, weird thing, isn't it? It's weird. Especially if you're a, a poli-sci teacher. Yeah. Ah, yeah. That's where it went. That's, that's, that's exactly the path it took. I went, it sounds, it sounds like something from Utah. Oh, it must be Mitt Romney. No, it's Orin Hatch, which is Orin, ben, Orin, Orin Zento. Yeah. Well, anyway, anyway, we don't have that anymore. Uh, unless we have a reason to bring it back. So instead, we say who lost the episode. So who lost this episode? And I have. A, I would I, say anyone who turned in, tuned into this episode for Sweeps Week. <laughs> Anybody who was suck, suckered in by, by the, the promise of it being an awesome episode because it was Sweeps Week was probably severely let down. Because my, my wife, after the end of it, looked over at me and she goes, what did we just watch? Oh, no. <laughs> she was less than impressed with the oh, show. Oh, man. Well, yep, 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 yep. I had who lost this episode, the Earth Alliance Postal Service. Because <laughs> they were winning and winning and winning and winning, and yeah. then Garibaldi was able to turn the tables on them at the very yep. end. So, at, at least the Babylon 5 branch lost that. Yes, that's right. All right. Maybe that's, maybe that's the, the actor that you, you didn't know who, who it was. I, I, I bet, bet that's was 100%. That's got to yeah. be. That's got to be. Yeah, because he got a lot of lines, so you know he got a He did. Him. Yeah, he did. Um, okay, so what is your rating for this one? Now, now I'm curious. Uh, I, you know, if we if we had watched this one in the fir- if this was a first season episode, it would have been a two point five for me. Okay, um, because it was it was a decent episode. It wasn't anything spectacular. It didn't have anything to do with the overarching yeah. story or anything like that. But having watching in the in this season, I could only give it a one point five. Wow, that's about as low as you've given anything. Yeah, well, yeah, I've, I've, I've gone as low as a one uh, this season, in fact. I gave one a one, I think. Ooh. No, maybe not. Maybe not. Ooh. I, you know, I wish I had kept a record myself. I could have kept a record of both of ours. I should have been writing them down all this time. 
I feel yeah. dumb now. I guess I could go through and listen to hundred hours of this. Uh, but you only yeah. have to listen to you know the the two parts. Yeah, the midway point. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's true. Um, okay, I actually gave this one a two point five, mainly because Jakar got some good stuff. We got some background on the Prometheus that we didn't really know before. And Michael York did really kind of give it his all, so I figured a eh, two point five is. But I totally, I'm, I totally get what you're saying, and I don't. I, I was, yeah. I was like two, two point five, two, two. I kind of get what. So yeah, that's why you surprised waff- me to go even lower. I was waffling between a one point five and a two, but after mm-hmm. I pissed my wife off and she won't watch anymore <laughs> with me now, I, I couldn't give it a more than one point five. Yeah, that's fair <laughs> enough. That's fair. All right, we're going to get into Ship of Tears in just a moment, but first we need to thank the patrons that keep this show and make it a reality. Uh, It was just a dream, but now it's a dream-given form, thanks to the patrons. Ooh, see how I did that. Here are the fine folks who keep this show going. They include Allison Rich, Colonel Dad, E.J. Alexander, Leah G., Rich Hammett, his arms wide, Emmanuel Seaman, Mond06, and if I'm not pronouncing that right, please let me know, because he's one of our newer ones, Michael O'Connor, or she, uh, Stu Parker, Heather and Yancey Steingrabber, Ice Cream Cone. Uh, <laughs> here's another new one. Uh, or maybe they just changed it to MF Zahadoom. Again, if I'm not pronouncing your thing right, let me know in the comments. But MF Zahadoom, I like it. I don't understand it, but I like it. And then, of course, Michael Halbrook. So thank you all so very, very much. We really appreciate you helping pay our bills. And uh, to have this sh- for our show to exist is why. Um, and I had a couple I, of comments. Yeah. I will just, uh, just for our listeners, I will have to explain to Van what MF means after we're off the air. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I have a couple of comments that I thought were worth carrying over. Uh, EJ Alexander said, I agree with Van that Lanier is full of crap. Well, <laughs> applaud EJ Alexander. In fact, I have an auto, I have a sound effect I'll play. Please clap. That's right. Um, he says, I liked Lanier in seasons one and two, but he pings my creepy meter from season three onward. And I cannot disagree with that, EJ. I think you're right yeah. on the button, right on the money. And then Allison uh, says... Um, Veer rejects Lindesty as a wife when he returns to Centauri Prime, according to the Peter David books, the Legion of Legions of Fire trilogy. Ah, we we, we talked about that. Probably, I just couldn't remember. It's been twenty five years since I read those, at least. Also of note to JMS, Reefa's given name may be Forward. It's with an E though, not an A. But to Peter David, it's Antono. I'll have to ask Peter about that next time I see him, if he knew that there was already an existing given name for Rifa and he changed it to something else. Uh, She says, with regard to Ivanova's confession of being in love with Talia, I thought that within the show, her male romantic partners we see from the past and also with Marcus just don't really work. When we see her with Talia, after they got to know one another a little, there's an ease and a vulnerability there, and she smiles. Not so with the men. And she ends up alone from what we see, and that's we can take that into the spoiler space if we want to talk about it more. And I think this was expected because she can't really be vulnerable to anyone again after Talia's betrayal. Yeah, I think that Allison is all over it there with some really good analysis of, uh, of poor yep. Susan. And 100%. And with Marcus, 
she kind of covers it up with just that sort of dismissal that I don't want to say she makes fun of him, but she, her, Susan's attitude toward Marcus is a constant string of kind of, you're ridiculous. I don't know what to make of you. You know what I mean? She, she just kind of yep. dismisses him. Right. She, she tolerates him and dismisses him. And then at one point, that's when she says, I don't even know how you fit into the system around here, which is when he pulls out the, so, <laughs> the org chart. The organ arts, or yeah, the, the Ottoman Empire chart, yes, which is so great. But that's what's so good about them is that no matter how much crap she throws at him, he laughs it off and comes back. And right. I think eventually maybe that would have worn her down, but it's, it, it is very different from Talia where there was no having to wear down. It was just learning to trust each other and accept each other. And Susan was very reluctant to do that with Thalia, obviously, for reasons that we know very well. So, Right. Yeah. I, I wish that relationship would have gotten a little bit more airtime. I, I think that oh, – and I understand why it probably didn't, considering the, the, the time that this was produced. But I, I thought that would have been a really cool relationship to, to see develop. I'm curious if, again, if we do get the new show, do they include anything like that? Will they even have the same characters? And will they behave in a similar way? And will, they, will JMS use this as a big opportunity to do some stuff he wasn't able to do in 1994 or 5 or whatever? So, Oh, yeah, really cool. he, yeah. You know he will. I mean, that's, that's totally JMS. I mean, he, yeah, he, he, he's almost said as much that he's going to go, you know, do, do a lot of he, – he says, I have grown as a writer since yes. then, so I will do things completely differently. Yeah. yeah. I'll have no doubt. So I guess no Muay Thai. <laughs> <laughs> One can only hope. Oh, Got to have the Muay Thai. <laughs> and then finally, Ice Cream Clone said, because you remember I said I have that sticker of the Babylon 5 shield logo, and I've had it since 1998 or whatever, and I've just never had anything to do with it. I've just never found anything to do with it. And he says, if you can't find a worthy item for the shield sticker, perhaps you need it as a tattoo. And like, there you go. You know? There's a, only a handful of things that I would consider getting as a tattoo. That is one of them. Mm-hmm. That is one. There's only a few things I would even consider, but that is one. Um, all right. Um, let's get into 314 Ship of Tears. This is my turn, I believe. Yep. Bester finds himself at odds with others within the Psychor and seeks Sheridan's help. So that was interesting. Offering information mm. about the shadows in return. Jakar presses for admission to the Conspiracy of Light. This was production number 314, airing number 314. We're back on track. Originally aired April 29th, 1996. Written by JMS, directed by... I have directed by Mike Vijar. Didn't he just direct the previous one? Yeah, yeah. but there was, there was an... Remember, there was a production between. episode between the two of them. Okay, all right. I'll go along with that. Notable guest stars, Walter Koenig as Bester. Woo! Joan McMurtry as Carolyn, and I had Diana Morgan as Allison. I'm not sure who that is. Maybe that's a typo. Could be a typo. I don't know. Allison. Yeah. I, I don't. I, I can't think of any any other character. Yeah. I don't know. The, the ISN lady, maybe. Oh yeah, that could be. That could be. Might be. Might be. All right. You have any random factoids and notes for this time? Uh. We mentioned that the uh, the the title refers back to the Trail of Tears because that was about the forced relocation of uh, Native Americans. The Cherokee, and JMS says that this was a forced relocation of telepaths. Yep. So yep. he said, that, yeah, that, that was definitely intentional. Also, there was a <laughs> a scene when uh, when Doc Franklin was was trying to figure out what was uh, going on with the. Um, 
the patient. Mm-hmm. In the foreground, you'll see one of his assistants is holding two vials of, of liquid. One is purple and one is green. And she's looking at both of them, trying to decide which one to go with. I don't know what she was doing. I don't know what those represented. But one was distinctly purple. One was distinctly green. And she couldn't decide between the two of them. So I thought that was kind of funny. Um, so and many the only- jokes. So many right. drowsy jokes. <laughs> ah, okay. Just make up your own jokes, and- folks. I'll leave it alone. <laughs> I I noticed that the uh, um, the new the new Star Furies had a different. Uh, heads-up display that reflected on their, the pilots' faces when they were flying. Yeah. And there was one scene when, um, I think it was when uh, Sheridan was talking to uh, um, Bester, that the it was reflecting on his face, and it made an outline around his face that looked almost like something from Tron, which, of course, the actor was, was the main <laughs> one of the main characters. It was, so I, 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 it just hit me. I'm like, oh, my God, that looks like Tron. And I thought good. that was kind of neat. That is, that's cool. Um, I, I, as you are a, a, a noted big fan, I, I am too, but I think you're even bigger. A big fan of this, of the, of the spacecraft, the Starcraft, the spaceships, and everything. Yeah. We see the Black Omega Star Fury. Uh huh. And find out that the Psychor that Bester gets to fly anything he wants. Basically, he gets the latest hot rods. That's pretty cool. All right. Does not suck to be Bester, honestly. Well, it, it, obviously not the latest hot rod because the uh, uh, oh. Babylon Five Star Furies are a little bit more up to date. Yeah. Yeah, for now, but yeah, that's true. For now, right. Um, the new ISN literally talks about fake news. Right. It's <laughs> just like, oh, I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. Uh, we finally saw a Brakiri cruiser. I don't think we've seen the Brakiri ships before. They're the kind of the green ones that look like something off yes. of Star Trek. Yeah, this was yeah, we saw yeah, we saw it twice in this episode. Once in the beginning when it was patrolling around Babylon five, and then once right there at the end when it got blown all to smithereens. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, we see yet another race of aliens who like to drill holes in people. I right. was really hoping the Stribe were the only ones, but apparently it's like a popular alien game is drill holes in the in the humans. The the this alien race, uh, JMS said, is specifically the the science branch of the Shadow Army. So they're like a like the Drock. The Drock are the other bad wet works, right. and these are like the. Medical right. and science bad guys. Okay. Right. That, yeah. They're they're the military. Yeah. The the uh, the the ones that came up with the the ships melding mer- merging with the telepaths. Right. They're pretty creepy. I give them that. Although I got to tell you, the aliens like this that pop up in Stargate Universe are the creepiest of all to me. But these guys are pretty close. Um, the shadows are on the move now, openly attacking the Brakiri. That sucks for the Brakiri. So no, no more hiding it, right? No more. It's like the war is kind of coming out in the open now. It's not stealth as much anymore. Oh, it, it is on right now. Yeah, the, the shadows have officially declared, revealed themselves, and declared war by the end of this episode. Man, okay. Unanswered questions. Uh, what kind of alien was flying the transport ship? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. Was that one of the scientist aliens or not? I don't think so. That must be okay. part of the Teamsters Union of the Shadows. <laughs> right. They have a special union rate that only they can fly those. Things. Right. Yeah. Um, were, ba- were Franklin and Bester able to save Carolyn? We got no closure on that. You know, I I I looked into that a little bit to see if she was if she ever came back up was mentioned anywhere in in canon, and I couldn't find anything. So mm-hmm. if any of our listeners know, you know what might have happened to her, uh, I would be very interested <laughs> to hear. I'm honestly not even sure if Greg Key's books go into that. I might 
I might send him a Facebook message and ask him, Greg, did they ever, did you ever get any information from JMS about the, about the, uh, about Carolyn? Cause the show never addresses it. And right. he wrote three novels about him, about Bester, but I don't remember if he included that in there. I don't know. I'll ask him. I'll ask him. We'll see what I can come up with. Um, because she's uh, carrying Bester's baby. Yes. So. Little, little Bester bestest. Yeah. Best, Bester <laughs> bestest superlative. Wow. A little, a little, a little bestling. Um, let's see. How much more does Bester know about the shadows and their involvement with the cycle? He didn't really tell us. Um, what became of all the other telepaths that were in chronic suspension? I think we kind of find out a little bit about them later. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a spoiler thing about them, about the, uh, the Dr. Franklin getting to examine them, by the way, that's very important, but it's a big spoiler. Uh, is there a reason the shadows are choosing human telepaths in particular? That's my last unanswered question. Right. All right. Well, we find out about blips. They are telepaths who refuse to take the drugs or to join the Psychor, so they get sent to re-education camps. Yep. Um, we know the shadows killed killed off most Narn telepaths a thousand years ago, and JMS has said that there's a whole big story involving Jaquan and the Mind Walkers versus the Shadows, but he's hesitated to tell it anywhere because he thinks it would make like a novel or a movie or something like that. So we'll see if he ever does anything with that. Or maybe a WB series. Oh, yeah, it could pop up or it could, yeah, just pop up as part of the new one, yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, Delenn still isn't being completely open with Jakar. She didn't tell him about Kosh's involvement, but maybe she does later off camera. Um, when, when, Walter K- when Walter Koenig and Bill Mummy had a scene together, Bill Mummy noted it was the first time a Lost in Space actor and a Star Trek actor had acted together in the same scene. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, the book of Jaquan was made by Mark Walters of the Babylon five prop department and JMS had put dibs on it that he wanted to have it when the show was over. And I, I imagine he probably does unless he put it on eBay. He, he sold a lot of things on eBay about five or 10 years ago. And that, I don't know if that was one of them, but he, he went on kind of like a selling spree about five, 10 years ago. Sold a bunch of stuff on eBay. I couldn't afford any of it. It was like really right. stuff. <laughs> Uh, let's see. The the new War Room set is where the casino used to be. Ah, I was wondering where they got that set. Okay. Yeah, they I, tore I, down the I'll casino. I'll have more, more to say about that in a little bit. All right. And um, did you notice, well, did you, well, we're talking about it. This may be what you were going to say. Did you notice it has a round table? Yes. Because there, oh, there was a line. Yeah. There was a line in Late yeah. Delivery from Avalon about how they were forming a new round table and round maybe table. in the circle of time, Avalon was inspired by them, you know, yeah. and lo and right. behold, they have a round table there. And by the way, you know why the significance of the round table that it's round is, right? Well, according to Arthurian legend, it was because Arthur didn't want any one knight to sit above the rest. Yes. They make that explicit in that wonderful... Um, like 2006, 2007 King Arthur movie with uh, Natalie, is it Natalie Portman in it? Or no, it's the other girl. It's the one from Pirates of the Caribbean. Right. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was. That was Ian Griffith. I love that movie so much. I will not hear anything bad about it. I will not hear it. Really? I, Ian Griffith. Griffith. Is, is pronounced Griffith. Yeah, well, whatever. He didn't know how to pronounce his own name. <laughs> he's, he's, he's Welsh. He is Welsh. That is correct. Yeah. And they, they, they mispronounce everything. 
Well, they have their own unique pronunciation for everything. I, yeah. I don't really want to try. <laughs> but in, I can't think of what's the main actor in that. It's not uh, Gerard Butler, but it's that uh, guy that kind of looks that? like yeah, Gerard Butler. I, I know, I know who you're. Talking I love about. that. I you don't, you don't like that movie. Hey, yeah, that that movie had so much potential. I'm I'm an Arthurian nut. I okay. I I am so steeped in the lore of Arthuriana that, uh, yeah, I that movie had so much potential and it squandered so much of it. Fair enough. And I was I was a little, I was more disappointed by it than I disliked it. So okay, fair enough. Yeah. I just yeah I don't I didn't have as much to be disappointed, so I just enjoyed what was there. Um, and I liked how it tried to make historical connections to stuff and not just make it fantasy right. like Excalibur, which was entirely fantasy. Um, let's see. Um, oh, yeah. So that was like the – when I said that the War Room was in the casino set, but the in-story reason – the in-story explanation is – that the that it was cobbled together, JMS says, from what's on the station with some additional Minbari funding, and so they're openly now that they're openly fighting the war, they can openly have a command center for it. So there you go. Um, but it is interesting how they kind of bounce back and forth now between the command deck of Babylon Five, where they've always been, in you know the the command people staff, right. versus the war room. They kind of like, right? You know what I mean? It used to be everything was on the the bridge or whatever you want to call it. Now they kind of yep. like have two different places to go for stuff. So, right. Um, JMS was asked, will Bester covertly help B5? He says, yes, that'll be something Bester will do now. And he was asked, was this change of heart planned from the start? And JMS says, yes, all of this was definitely intended from the start with Bester. So this isn't something he made up as he went along. And, oh, and then finally, this one was interesting because we've talked about this before. Somebody asked JMS, "Why are not? Why are they not ever to get? Why are they not able to get other television networks? Right? We've said why is it? Why is ISE in the in the only channel? And what happened? They said what happened to the two reporters at the desk when it was shut down? And JMS says ISN is one of the only interstellar networks bounced via the tachyon relay system from Earth to the outer colonies and beyond. There are lots of other channels back home, but to get this far, you need the support of the government." Right. So it's the, it's that it's on cable <laughs> is why we get right. ISN. And the other two reporters so, are, to say the least, in deep guano. Okay. Right. So going back to, to what you're saying about Bester and how that was always planned, the the whole issue with the telepaths being used to pilot the uh, um, well, we'll I'll, we'll talk about that in, in the in, I I have something else to say about that, but we'll touch on that in a different category. Okay. Okay. Well, then let's uh, get into the categories for this one. What was your high point of Ship of Tears? Uh, the high point for me was, well, you, you brought it up earlier. The new Star Fury was, ah. you know, we got to see that. It was super cool. They had a new set for the cockpit, uh, and it was different. The the heads-up display was more advanced than the regular Star Fury. I mean, you can you can compare and contrast when he's talking to Bester and the oldest Star Fury. Mm-hmm. Seeing the black Omega Star Fury was super cool. Um, I am, I am a, a plastic modeler, you know, a, a, like a little airplane modeler from when I was a kid. And I had a model of the Star Fury, and it came with four different decal and paint options. It came with um, uh, the Tiger one, who I think is, is uh, Sheridan's. It came with Ivanova's Star Fury markings. Kind of Russian. It came with yeah the it came with the um, uh, uh, Earth Force One the the blue 
the one with the really cool blue Earth Force One markings that mm. flew along with the the uh, president ship, and then it came with the Black Omega markings, and oh. it's super cool. I mean, just to to contrast all those together, the Black Omega just stands out. It's just a super cool uh, looking ship. Uh, the White Star Bridge seems to have been improved. Mm. Um, it, it's like they added things off to either side to make it more compact, to make it look more less like an open set and more like a, a narrowing um, room. So I thought that was that was notable. And then the War Council room, the, the war room, I thought was a super cool set. Um, it was big. It had a bunch of stuff going on. It was brightly lit. You know, all the other sets are always so drab and darkly lit. I thought it was really cool. It was a beautiful set. And compare, good lord, compare that to the the council chambers. I mean, oh, why couldn't they do that from season? I mean, it, it, you said it was the 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 Zocalo or the the, the whatever it was. The casino. Yeah. What? What? I mean, that casino was useless. All the, you'd figure they would pour more money into the uh, the council chamber set than they would into the casino set. Yeah. Oh. I mean, they could they could have had that area that space as the the council chambers and it would have been cool because this was a big airy set that had multiple levels i mean it, it would have been spectacular but yeah i they didn't for some reason i don't know they obviously had the money for the set they just misspent it but yeah, yeah i thought i thought the whole war room was a really cool set it's it was pretty spectacular i had the war room as a high point too uh, which is sad considering a lot of other stuff happened in this episode, but that was a big thing. And I said that Jakar joining it was a high point. Yes. And then having the round table, as I mentioned there, was kind of a high point to me because it resonated back to the one we had just watched. So, so yeah, right. that, that, that was, was cool. my high point for sure. All right. Uh, do you have a low point? I do. It was an emotional low point, and it was the whole ISN thing because they were all excited to get ISN back. And then they came on with the fake news, which which might have seemed a little heavy-handed back then. But these days, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, that, oh, they're they're playing it softball, right? Or exactly. So yeah, it was uh, it was it, it just it just made me feel icky. And I thought that that lady who may or may not have been Diana Allison. Morgan, yeah, uh, yeah, I thought she did a really good job of being. Very kind of smug and smarmy, and like, yes, very. Oh, I, that's oh. the exact word, smarmy. Our own forces had to come in and save us when those na- naughty insurgents tried to take over yeah. our television station. And you're just like, ah, oh, come on, yeah. man. But yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Well, in in this century, you know, in this day and age, the uh, information war is as equally powerful as the 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 war on the ground. Oh yeah, know? absolutely. Absolutely. It's only going to get more. Yeah. Right. Um, so my low point was also emotional. It was Delenn talking to Jakar and having to kind of fess up and say, look, I want to clear the air. Here's, you know, and I felt like Delenn was right that there wouldn't have made any difference. It's not right. like Delenn was saying I had a button I could push and save your people and I didn't push it because then I'd be right. like Jakar killer now. Right. But instead, it's like I could have said something and maybe something would have been different or maybe not. We'll never know, you know. So I had a hard time. I mean, I understood Jakar being upset, but it just didn't seem as big of a deal as all that to me. And I think he realized that. Um, she, yeah, he, he knew that she was right and he accepted the fact, but it was he was still salty about it. And rightfully so. I mean, it, you know, that when you're in that situation, you would do 
anything to save any amount of people that you could, consequences be damned, you know? I mean, I I just want to save lives. I don't care what happens after that. So I I get where he was coming from. But I did like that Delenn said, you've come a long way. Because that's a Yes. If you compare that conversation they had with the conversation they had in the pilot. Yes. You remember that one? Oh, gosh, yeah. She had to use a ring to, like, Right, completely different characters, yeah. both of them, and and not not that they were you know written poorly. It's mm-hmm. just that they have changed so much since then. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I might forgive you, but not today. Yeah, man, God, you Yeah. Uh, most Babylon Five scene. Uh, for me, it was right there at the very end when uh, when um, Sheridan said, "We have a weapon. By God, we have a weapon." <laughs> And then right after that, the shadows come out and start zapping people. You know, I thought that was that was amazingly huge. And another reason why this was such a Babylon Five scene. This is what I was mentioning earlier. JMS points to the the telepaths being used as you know the pilots for the, um, the for the ships. shadow ships. That was playing the entire time. That touches on so many plot points going all the way back to the very pilot when Jakar was looking for telepaths. Yeah. Um, JMS knew then that's what happened to their telepaths. And just the, the, the founding of the Psycor was because the Vorlon. Well, yeah, we can talk about this in spoiler space, but <laughs> we have a yeah. few things. Yeah. So, yeah, um, th- this one plot point touches so much of the past and so much of the future of, of you know, the story arc. I thought that was very Babylon 5. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I can't argue with that. I'll go with that too. I, 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 I kind of had the, the whole. Delin talking to Jakar about the shadows is pretty pretty Babylon Five E too, but I think yeah, you're right absolutely. that that's that that's the main thing. Um, favorite character moment. Favorite character moment. We've already mentioned it twice. Was uh, when Delin and Jakar had their conversation. Uh, it was just a powerful, powerful scene, especially that last line that that Jakar gives her when he said, "But not today." I mean, that was oh, just yeah. wow. And uh, Andreas, the, I read an interview about this one in my research, and Andreas said that that scene took four hours to film because they both were kept. There was so much emotion that they both were kept crying and crying and crying throughout the the entire. And the director said, you know, kept making them do it again and again. And he finally, after the last they, the, that take that they took was the very last one. And Andreas is like, why have we been sitting here all day? And and Vajar says, it was because I wanted to get all of that out of you. He said, I didn't want you crying in this scene anymore. You know, I wanted you to get all your emotion out so you could come across as, you know, Jakar, not as, as Andreas. You know, wow. I, I didn't want any. I, I was fine with the Len crying during the, the delivery. And and Andreas said that those tears were were legit. They were so into this scene and they were so emotional about it that she would start crying right at the very beginning. So, Man. and and Vajar wanted wanted Jakar not to cry until the very end. So he had to squeeze every last tear out of Andreas by doing it over and over again until the very the very last scene when when Andreas kept it in until the very end. And that was the take that they they used. That's funny because that's pretty much what directors do with William Shatner. I've always read right that when, <laughs> when they were filming Star Trek movies, Shatner's first five takes would be like, ha, 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 and they would just wear it down. They said we just wear him down. So like the sixth take, he's like, well, we need to do so and so. And they're like, there we go. Print that one. Print the one where he's worn out. You know, you just got to wear him down. Yeah. Uh, so that's yeah. kind of interesting. It's interesting. Um, 
I had a note here, though. I, well, I got to say, favorite character moment in an episode with Bester. I think it, there were some good Bester scenes, too, as always. He's yes, so, very much. It's just hard yes. to imagine an actor like Walter Koenig, who was limited to doing silly little Russian accents for all those years on Star Trek, just shows whole depths of acting yep. that he never got the chance to show. He said this was his favorite episode to do. He said, on Star Trek, I was limited to being a plot device. I just yes. delivered plot information. Yeah. And in here, I got to show, I got to give this this villain, this this horrible person that everybody, fandom and characters alike, hated. Mm -hmm. I got to show a human side of him and give him maybe a little bit of, of uh, a sympathetic side. And he said, I love doing that. He said, this was my favorite episode by far. And it's because he, when he gets to do that kind of sly half smile, like, well, Captain right. Sheridan, it's because, and I just, that's just, he's just reveling in his evil at that point, and he loves it. Right. And, I, and I, we, we and, all love to watch it. And, and Walter said that, you know, Bester doesn't turn into a good guy after this. He's still a jerk, you know, <laughs> yeah. as seen in that, that uh, as demonstrated in that scene with Ivanova when, when he taunted her with the, I never mentioned that you have your mother's eyes. I mean, that was just evil. That was just him just jabbing at her. So he, he's not a good guy after this, but he does have a soft, maybe a little tiny bit, but he's got a soft part of his heart. His worst is yet to come. Spoiler, spoiler. Right. We're not, we're not done Absolutely. with Bester by a long shot, y'all. We ain't done with right. Bester by a long shot. Yeah. Um, I have to note, though, while we're talking about characters, Sheridan is really short with Lanier multiple times in this episode. He's like short. I mean, like dismissive of Lanier. There's one time that Lanier is saying, like, I think it's on the White Star. Bester gives an order, and instead of doing it, Lanier looks at Sheridan as he should, and mm -hmm. Sheridan looks at Lanier and goes, repeats the order. But he re he doesn't repeat it like, yes, you should do that. He repeats it like, why aren't you doing that? Right. And Lanier is kind of like, yep. excuse, excuse the crap out of and, me, yeah. man. <laughs> and he does that <laughs> and the one at least twice. Yeah, because there's one thing when Lanier starts to give him more information, he goes, don't give me the long version, just do it or something like yes. that. Yes, yeah, he, I'm just like, man, if, if it's Lanier's going to get a little tired of Sheridan if he didn't watch out. I don't know. Right? Don't know. That, that might lead to issues. <sighs> it could. Funniest moment to you. I have two. I have uh, when Bester first comes on board and he walks around the corner and he sees the quote-unquote honor guard with all their guns drawn and pointed at them, and he goes, I'm beginning to think people around here just don't like me. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. And 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 I, I didn't include this one, but that made me think of when uh, when they're talking about what to do with him when he's in his fighter, and he's waiting, and he's like, <laughs> yeah. and he what does he ask, like, oh, well, are you going to shoot me or not? And he's like, we're, we're deciding that right. And he's up there right. along those lines. Yeah, we're still deciding that. And he's like, right. oh, excuse me. Okay. I had the funniest moment. was One of them was with him when he sits down in the White Star command seat. And he just is, he's just as comfortable as him. He just plops down like, yeah, right. my ship. And Sheridan yep. just looks at him like, what the heck? <laughs> he says, get out of my seat. That was really good. And then the other one was, do not thump the book of Jaquan. It is disrespectful. Yes. <laughs> that was so good. The things that happened to the book of the, the book of Jaquar, yeah, later. So it's funny they had the book of Jaquan because we'll, we'll, we'll right. yeah, stuff happens later. So, okay. Who won this episode, Andy? I would say that uh, Jakar won this episode because he finally, I mean, he got uh, the apology from 
Delenn, and he was allowed finally into the 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 War Council. So yeah, I thought that was, and, and it was the Book of Jaquan, you know, his book that you know produced the 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 big clue there for them to figure out that this you know they have a new weapon. So yeah, yeah even though it was Garibaldi that figured it out, it was <laughs> because of Jakar giving him the book and making him learn learn uh, or Narn to read it. So yeah, I, I thought it was really cool. So, uh, yeah, I had Jakar. I said Bester, maybe. I don't think he lost it. I think it kind of went about as well for him as it really could have, probably. Right. I agree. Yeah. Uh, who lost the episode? I would say the Shadows lost this episode because they gave up a very important piece of intelligence mm-hmm. that will be used, could could potentially be used against them in the future. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I think that was uh, that was a huge, huge uh, L for them. We are in simpatico. All right. What did you rate this one? This one I gave a three. I thought it was a really good episode. I really enjoyed it. I disagree with you entirely. I gave this one a three. <laughs> <laughs> I said it wasn't a huge, 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 and we know stuff's coming up. We've we had some things in the rearview mirror. We got some things down the road a little bit, but just a right. a very short distance down the road. Right, but but um, but it had Bester, which automatically gives it at least a half a point to a one point bump. Yep. Shadow ramifications, Jakar doing cool stuff. It's hard not to give it a three, yep. so I gave it a three. And, and I wish, I wish from the bottom of my heart that this would have been the episode that my wife decided to watch with me today. So yeah, <laughs> that would the be other a better one. one, better one. Yeah. This this one was good. I mean, it had the, the scenes with the uh, the the uh, telepath and Medbay were creepy. I mean, when she hooked up to the uh, uh, oh, the entire yeah. station and she was yes. just hanging there with all the wires coming out and she was zapping lightning at people, that was downright horrific. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I, I think my wife would really like this one, but we'll never know now. She'll be back. <laughs> She'll be back. Make, just get her back for the end of this season because if, she, if, yeah. if you're willing to watch Babylon 5 and you don't like the end of this season, you just don't even need to watch Babylon 5 because it doesn't get right. any better than anything. All right. Other than Severed Dreams. Okay. Uh, our next installment, we will cover just one, 315 Interludes and Examinations. Now, that may not be one that will last us a whole hour, hour and a half, but I think right. it's big enough that we need to kind of do it by itself, plus there's stuff coming up after it that kind of makes that necessary. So, All, all right. right, we're going to go through the jump gate. Jump gate activated. We are in spoiler space, spoiler space. Um, the only spoiler space I had very quickly, the third age of mankind thing was just that that's when humans no longer need, they're no longer aliens above us. It's our galaxy now. So that's like the first right. age was before we ever left earth. The second age is we're like a junior species. Third age is we're in, we're kind of in charge more or less. That's all. Um, right. There is Ranger 1 and there is Intel Za the 1. And so we're going to come up soon and kind of get a little bit more on that when we get to War Without End. But I just wanted to note that it's never entirely clear what the difference is between Intel Za and Ranger 1. They're used kind of interchangeably, but my sense is that the Intel Za is like a very special Ranger 1. It's like not just a general, but like the five-star general. You know what I'm saying? And there's only a few of them. Right. Okay. Right. And then... Um, we are told that the ranger pin stone is called Isilza. It's supposed to be... It, they don't mention it here, but it's it's cooled by being dipped into three liquids. The liquids are human blood, right. Minbari blood, and some kind of holy water. I always suspected that the... They never say this, 
that that holy water was Vorlon blood. Yeah, we we mentioned this before. The last time that they they showed that oh, ranger yeah. pin, uh, yeah, we, we discussed this. I and I wondered if if Vorlons even had blood. But yeah, and then they get poisoned though, so it's all very incongruous. That's about true. It. It's weird. That's true. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, the last thing is that I think this ship, this episode was important also because Doctor Franklin needed to have seen the way telepaths are connected to a shadow ship because he's going to have a patient in a couple of episodes or so that they really need to know that this person yeah. was set up to connect to a shadow ship. Right. So you know who that is. My my only thing is um, when JMS was talking about how this one plot point of the humans fitting into the shadow ships touches a bunch of other plot points. He mentions that the Vorlons are the ones who created the telepaths on earth a hundred years, roughly a hundred years prior to the, the, the Babylon five station. So it was because of the Vorlons that earth has telepaths. And also because of the Vorlons that, um, the Psycor came about because the Psycor only came out because telepaths came about. So, I'm assuming that the Vorlons created human telepaths to help fight the shadows. Okay. But if they hadn't created the, the human telepaths, what would the shadows have been using to pilot their ships? Mm. Yeah, it's like the shadows subverted something the Vorlons created. And, right. And the Psycor seems like a Vorlon invention because they're all about order. The shadows mm-hmm. would have just had the, the telepaths running around conquering everybody, showing right. how strong I, they I were. I agree. The Vorlons are the ones that would make regiments of them and divisions and box them in and all that. So it really is like the shadows have subverted a Vorlon thing to their own service. That's really interesting. And they never explicitly say that, but that's the strong sense I get. I think you're absolutely onto something there. Yep. That is cool. Cool. All right. I think we're to the end. I think we are, too. All right. So we'll join you guys again in two weeks for... Uh, interludes and examinations, which is one of those episodes that has a very innocuous, innocent-sounding title, like it's a filler. But I seem to recall some big things happen in it, so I think we'll have yeah. a good time just talking about that one. So, and maybe yeah, we'll see if your wife fun. we'll see if your wife comes back and gives it a chance because that's a good one. <laughs> it is a good one. Uh, cool. All right, all right. The White Rocket Battle Five Review Podcast going to get out of here for another episode, and we will see you guys on the other side of the jump gate in a couple of weeks. Thanks a bunch, Andy. All right, take care, Van. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.